about this morning. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 135. If you have your bulletins with you, you'll notice that on the bulletins that there's four words that are, that are right out there and right fresh within your bulletins. Adoration, confessions, thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, some of you know what that's all about. You've probably heard me talk about that every once in a while, uh, uh, about this, these four words. But as we begin to, to enter into 2018, one of the things that we are going to be doing for the next uh, four weeks is that um, we want to center our sermon series around those four words. Again, adorations, uh, uh, um, confession, suppli- uh, thanksgiving, and supplication. And my prayer for the, that is that in the next four weeks, that one of the things that we can do is that we can rediscover what, what worship is together, that we can do that. And, and I do want to just maybe throw this out, is that whether or not you're doing this and that, and we kind of started off our service like that, um, the point is not so much that kind of stuff as much as um, we just need to, I, I want us to be able to understand what it really truly means to express worship to God and that, that we might come to, uh, to once again see why it is that we, we come to church here every Sunday. Now, you also may have noticed that, that the first letter of those words, um, actually, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, that that actually spells out the word acts. Um, acts. It's a great way, I think it's an easy way that we can come and we can worship God, something that, that I've been prone to do from time to time. I, I think that this is a, 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 prayer, a great prayer tool, right? I think it's a, a, a cool, it's a, it's a really neat prayer to, tool that, that each time that we go before God, that we can actually bring our adoration to Him. That as we go before God, that we can actually confess our sins before Him, that we can actually uh, be uh, thankful and offer our thanks to Him for the many blessings that He has in our lives, that He's given to us in our lives. And, and, and then also that we can also offer Him um, or present to Him the, the things that are most close to us, that are, that are the requests of our hearts. And, uh, but this is an incredible, I think, an incredible prayer tool. I, I hope that we can learn that and, and, uh, and to recognize that prayer, in fact, is, is a great part of worship um, in fact, I, I loved it uh, when we were sitting here doing our prayer time and we were hearing all the different groups kind of doing that. Did any of you guys hear some of the groups around? Uh, not necessarily what they were saying, but did, did you hear the, the room just humming with, yeah. with worship to God? Isn't that just incredible? That is awesome to, to hear God's people pray. So anyway, for the next few weeks, one of the four weeks, what we want to do is we want to rediscover just what it is and why it is that God is so worthy of our worship. Just why it is that we come to this place at 834 North Main every Sunday morning. And, and today we're going to talk about adoration. We're going to talk about that. So Psalm 135, we just simply want to rediscover the power of praise. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, to that. Psalm 135, it's a great passage. Uh, read along with me there. It's up on, it'll be up on the screen here for in just a few moments. Uh, or maybe you want to use your own Bibles. But Psalm 135, I really don't want you to miss this. This is an, uh, it's an amazing text. It's just a powerful passage. Psalm 135, beginning with verse 1, and this is how it reads. Hallelujah! Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to His name, for that is pleasant. 
For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our God is greater than all gods. You know, I wasn't raised. I wasn't raised to say hallelujah. I actually have to have to work and, and practice to, to read that scripture the way that I think that really it should be it should be read. And, and you know, the, in the church that I grew up in, the feeling that the church had and the feeling that be, really became mine was that that, that kind of hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, kind of stuff, that was, well, you know, it just wasn't appropriate. I mean, it wasn't the way that my Sunday school teacher, it wasn't the way that, that, that they did it, it wasn't the way that the elders did it. Every once in a while, my dad would kind of shout out a quick hallelujah, but, you know, that was okay because he was the preacher. He could get away with it. But it wasn't that, the way that anyone in our church did it. Now, we did have one amener, right? It used to be that all churches had at least one, you know, one dear sweet elderly gentleman that would be sitting, uh, you know, up front, you know, somewhere up close and everything else, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden kind of, amen! <laughs> you know, kind of croaks them out a little bit, right? And when you hear it for the first time, I mean, you're just a kid, you know, you're sitting there in the service and all, amen! and you just kind of jump up, you, you're, you're kind of sleeping a little bit, and you, it just kind of scares you, and, you, and you know, everybody's scraping around trying to open, get their hymnals uh, back in that day to try to, you know, because they think the service is over, you know. And nope, nope, not yet, sorry. And if that's uh, even a little bit of what it was like, your experience in, in the church as you were growing up, then you know that that excitement, excitable, outspoken, praise the Lord religion, somehow I think got away from us. Several years ago, Susan and I, we attended the North American Christian Convention in Indianapolis, Indiana. And... Uh, it's, uh, the North American is an annual convention for several churches, uh, it, for all of North America. Churches uh, much like ours. I mean, just the average churches. It isn't some big, it's, it's, it's for average, everyday, ordinary Christian people. And we would just have a few, you know, we'd have a few people that would attend from our church. And all over the United States, we'd come and we'd gather in a certain place. Every year, it's a different place. And, uh, but these are people that are used to doing this every year. And they're, they're kind of just, Typical, everyday, ordinary congregations, people like, like we are here. And, and uh, they, were, they uh, had, during one of the evening services, they had this African-American choir called the Soul Sh- Children of Chicago. And these guys just came out. I mean, Ameri- they, they were, they were African-American. They were, they, were, they were special music. They were children from the ages of probably about 7 to 17. And they were raised well in this area of praise. I'm just, I'm just telling you, these kids really brought it to us. It was pretty incredible. And, 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 and I'll never forget it because in the Indiana Stadium, there's about 30,000 people that are just sat there with their jaws dropping at this happening, to, you know, at, at this special music. And they didn't know what to do. They really didn't know what to do. The choir leader asked the congregation to stand and to, to express their worship to God and, and dance if they wanted to. And, you know, just kind of lift up their hands and to praise God. And, and, and 30,000 people just kind of looked at each other just to, to say, is he talking to us? I, I mean, like, like, should we get excited or something? I mean, this group really knew how to express their worship. You know, cable TV has really given me an education. Uh, do you know that you can flip the channels? You can find these preacher hallelujah shows. 
Uh, and always be guaranteed there's a, several hallelujahs, a few, a few tears, you know, and a couple of times where everyone just would just kind of stop and jump around and everything else. You know, you've seen some of those if you're kind of flipping through the channels, right? Uh, um, and you know, certainly throughout all that, you know, they get a lot of, yeah, amens and all that kind of stuff. But um, I can never, ever remember that happening in my church. And as I grew up, I asked myself, you know, how come they look like they're having so much fun? I mean, I, I, how, how come I can flip the channel to American Bandstand and Shimoleski Fun Time? Remember those? those, those uh, some of you remember those, right? And they look like they're having so much fun. How, but how come, as soon as the amen is said, that, you know, in the church, that we look like we're having so much fun, you know, but during the worship time, during the praise time, during the, you know, we look like, we, we just can't wait to get out of the service kind of thing. I, I think that we have to laugh a little bit about some of these things. Otherwise, we'll just get depressed and go home, right? Because somewhere, somehow, I think that we have, as Christians, not just us, I think as Christians, we've lost that hallelujah principle, that, that joyous hallelujah principle that needs to be in our worship, that, that somehow we've decided that we don't need, or we've decided that we, don't know where to, that, we just, that we just don't know where to get it, or we don't know what to do with it. And so, okay, at, at the same time that I really want you to feel that way, I, I, want it really, I want us to be challenged by the fact that Jesus gave his purpose in coming to earth in John chapter 10. John 10 and 10 is one of those rare places. You know, we all tell each other, uh, you know, why Jesus came. Jesus came to die on the cross to save us all from our sins, right? Well, that's good, and that really sings well. But let me just tell you something. Jesus came for another reason. He said that he came that you might have life and that you might have that to the full right? It's in a whole setting in John chapter 10 where he talks about the shepherd. He says that I'm the shepherd, I'm the gate. You know, I'm, 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 uh, he says that the thief comes to, to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he says, and, and, you know, that, that that's what he comes for. And let me tell you, the thief has come to the church, right? He has stolen, he has killed. And Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it, and then he uses the phrase, to the full. I love that. Filled up, pressed down, running over. That's what he wants to give us. And Jesus got back to heaven, and the angel said, Lord, what a wonderful gift you've given, right? Why did you do that? And Jesus says, well, I did that so that they could have life and have it to the full. And the angels crowd around the windows of heaven and they say, Woohoo, I can't wait to see this! And then they look down. And one of the angels says, You know, you died so that they could look like that? Right? You went to heaven and suffered so they could, so they could get more excited about, Yes! I mean, the Packers, right? Yes, all right. Well, so they get more excited about a football team, right? They would, you know, really look a lot better in purple. Don't you agree? So they could get more excited about that than about your grace and about your blood on the cross? Well, enough about the problem. You know, what's the solution to all of this? How do we get that hallelujah principle back? See, it, it reminds me kind of a little bit of a friend of mine, actually of his dad who um, actually has passed away 
Um, but I mean, this guy, he, he had a lot of money. He, was, he had bucks. He, he, this guy was rich, um, very rich. And, and not only rich, but how, how can I say this? He was, um, he was real conscious about stewardship. Think cheap. Um, several years back, his house burnt down. And uh, I mean, this guy, he moved his family into his garage. And to, in order to save money, it's in the dead of winter that this happened. It's cold. It's 20 below zero. And, and they lived in their garage for the whole year in northern Minnesota. You know, so when, during those winter months, when, when they used one of, they, one of the things they used was one of those 55-gallon barrel stoves they, to, in order to save money. Anyway, think in terms of that. But, but anyway, I, when I was growing up, I went then, in, in the midst of some of that, I went with one of my friend's uh, family, I went with my friend's family to the Saskatoba, South Dakota, Wyotano, Wyotana, um, uh Bible Bowl rally in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. Uh, Saskatoba, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Soda, Dakota, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, Wyotana, Wyoming, and Montana. It was a big rally. It was up in the north, okay? So that's what it all stands for. But I can remember stopping at McDonald's on the way. And we know what happens, right? You stop at McDonald's, you order some fries, you got some hamburgers, a couple of Cokes, you know, and, and they put it on this tray. And, you know, you look down, you know that they just grabbed, you know, the scoop and they just kind of shoved a few in and they put it on. And you know for a fact that when you're looking at all those bags, some are more full than others, right? I mean, you've got to think back now, too. I mean, seriously. You've got to think back. How many would you say that the fries back in the 70s are way better than today? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> the taste. I'm not talking about the health side of things, right? I mean, I crave some of those. I mean, fries used to be really good, right? I mean, they were greasy. They'd slide right down. But they were really good. And, uh, you know, back, so, so, you know, you're, you're looking at that. And anyway, my friend's father looked down at the bag, and then he looked at the little girl behind the counter and he said, uh, excuse me, but um, are these French fry bags full? <laughs> and uh, I was only 10, but I knew that was kind of a major faux pas, right? You don't ask at McDonald's, right, are these bags full? And this little girl was foolish enough to say, what? My friend's dad thought that she was hard of hearing. Are these bags full, you know? And, and now everybody on the counter is looking at their French fry bags, right? And, and in a second, the manager was right there. And this poor tra trainee, you know, was just standing there. And she just, oh, what, what, well, um, um, and she doesn't. And, and the manager moved in front. And he says, excuse me, is there a problem? My, my friend's father says, no, there's not a problem. I was, just, I was just wondering. And I was just asking her. I was wondering if these bags are what you would call full. And this guy was sharp. I mean, I'm just telling you. He looked down and he said, no, sir. Those are not full. And so he picked up that tray. He walked over to the French fry bin, and I'll never forget him getting that scoop and just shoving them in and shoving them in, and then using them by hand and pushing those in and cramming them in until that, you know, the, the, the paper on the outside is just splitting a little bit. The things are just bursting out with French fries, and he brings them back, and my friend, my friend uh, and I are we're just grinning, and he sets that tray down on the counter, and he says, Those, sir, are full. And my friend's dad says, yep, they are. And he took his tray, right? Um, I'm going, I can't believe this. I really can't because I'm just waiting for everyone to just kind of line up and say, yeah, yeah, how about fill her up here, right? Mine too. And I think 
that Jesus looks down at us and, and he looks at our worship sometimes and he says, where are your fries? You know, I gave you that full bag. I gave you a full life. I gave you a life that's just, that's just bursting out that people should notice. I gave you a life that should fill you up so that you can say hallelujah, which just really means praise the Lord. That's all it means. And you have a half a bag of fries. We used to sing a song, and I thought about this here the other day. Um, some of you will remember this one. Um, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. Remember that? But in that mansion, right? You know, it's kind of like that whole idea, these, these wonderful Depression-era songs. That, you know, I mean, we have this theology that somehow we've just really got to suffer through it down here, right? Um, we've got to rough it. But when we get up there, it's all going to be different. Think about that. Jesus says, I didn't die so that you'd be down there saying, boy, it's rough, but somehow we're going to make it. He died so that, we, so that we would say hallelujah for a life here with Jesus. Am I right? So that we could say hooray, thank God, praise God. Yes, I cannot be defeated because Jesus has given me the victory. That's why he died. Now where does that go? Where does that go at church? Where, where does that go in our, our personal lives, in our homes, and when we're walking out in this, do we walk as if we're victorious Christians? And I know sometimes that we want to, we, we, we might think to ourselves, you know, you, you, that we just can't live like that, right? I mean, haven't we all kind of had someone come across someone somewhere, you know, that kind of made you go, I mean, you know, they're the kind of person who says, praise the Lord so much you want to slap them. I mean, that current person who's just bubbling with it, right? See, I, I'm not preaching obnoxious, obnoxiousness for Jesus here. What I'm saying is that we need to open our lives to the fact that some of us have been robbed of the hallelujah factor. So what can we do about that? As a church, as, as individuals, as what, what, what can we do? Let me, let me just tell you about something that is, and, and, and this is not new, or this is not um, original with me, but I heard this one time, and I think it's pretty cool. But anyway, it, it, a fellow that is talking about this, but let me just tell you about a disease that steals, I think, the hallelujah factor uh, from my life, and maybe from, it steals it from your life as well. The disease is spelt like this, N-A-Z-A-R-I-T-U-S, Nazaritis. Should be right up there so we can see it all plain as day. Right there. It's coming. There it is. Nazaritis. That's the disease, okay? Nazaritis. And, and this fellow says it's a Latin term, and it's called Nazaritis. It's the hardening, hardening of the spiritual arteries that can lead to a comatose, ultimate comatose state. I want you to take a look at a passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 6. And this is up on the screen. Um, Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus, Jesus left there, and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Now, I want you to stop right there for a, a, a moment here. 
Jesus comes back to the place where he has spent, where he spent 28 years of his life, the majority of his life. He comes back to his hometown. If anyone on earth ought to know Jesus well, it would be the Nazarenes, right? That makes sense. This guy is a homeboy. He, I mean, when, when he came walking into the synagogue, the synagogue leader said, well, look who's back, right? Only when he said Jesus, they, they didn't all go, ooh, Jesus, you know. They just went, oh, yeah, that's Joshua, that's, that's Joe, that's, that's Jesus. I mean, it was a common name. Sure, I remember him. I grew up, so he grew up here. And he said, Jesus, as, as long as you're back, you know, you're back from Bible college, you know, why don't you just come on up and, you know, maybe share a testimony or something. I share some things. Uh, you know, why, do you, why don't you read something? You know, read some scripture or something. And so Jesus gets up, and, you know, this poor synagogue ruler had no idea what he was doing. I mean, how would you like to follow, follow uh, 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 how would you like to get up and speak after Jesus finished preaching? I mean, after he, I mean, can you imagine that the guy, what he felt like, you know? When Jesus steps up and he begins to just kind of knock their lights out. And as he began to share and as he began to teach, they, they, they were amazed. Like, like at, at one of his miracles, they, they were jaw-dropping, open-eye amazed. And that fits so much with all of the Gospels. As we see that, people were just astounded. They were amazed. They were just, wow, at, at Jesus. And, um, but then something happened, Right? The disease, Nazaritis, kicked in. And, and one, one said to another, he said, well, wait a minute. This, uh, it, it's just Jesus. Now, now I remember him, the carpenter's son, right? Mary's boy. You know what I'm talking about, Bob? Mary's boy, right? I mean, uh, hey, that's right there in the text. He talks, this is Mary's boy. See, rumors die hard in a small town, don't they? When I go back to my home church, well, my home church is, um, um, they kind of relocated and all that. Mom moved from, but when I go back and I see some of the guys, they, they know who I am. They don't think of me today. They think of sometimes, oh, I remember what he was like back when he was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and all the way up to 17 or whatever. Uh, that happens. Uh, rumors die hard in a small town. Um, and some of them, were there when Jesus came to town. Undoubtedly, I remember meeting them when they, when they came to town. Hey, howdy, you know. Um, welcome to Nazareth. Are you moving in? Oh, you're moving back. Oh, well, pleased to meet you. Joe, hi, this, is this your little wife? Oh, Mary, she's... Well, who's the little tyke there, right? Oh, Jesus, well, he's a cutie. Now, how old is he? Well, that's good. How long have you all been married? <laughs> oh, no, don't say a word, right? No, you don't need to. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, 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 that's right. No, don't, don't, don't. I, I won't say anything if you won't say anything. People won't know. You know, Jesus was accused of being illegitimate, and it haunted him. And if anybody ever ought to say, praise God that Jesus is here, it was the Nazarene who lived down, who, who, who lived down the street from him all of their lives. But they thought that they knew him so well, hear this, that he wasn't impressive anymore. I have a question. When was the last time that Jesus dropped your jaw? 
When was the last time that Jesus amazed you? Jesus couldn't do any miracles in, in Nazareth, not because he wasn't able, but because the people, actually, they wouldn't let him. It says that he could only lay his hands on a few sick people. Now, remember this. The, the Nazarenes were so close to Jesus. They had known him for so long that they had grown so they had grown to despise him because he was so familiar. And you know what? I wonder. I wonder. I, I wonder this more about myself than I do about anyone else that's here. But I wonder, have we become so familiar with Jesus? Have we become so familiar with the gospel? Have we become so familiar with, with church life and the status quo and all that stuff that we are just not impressed anymore with Jesus? You know, it's like we've stayed in the house too long. You know, we've got cabin fever. I mean, no wonder we're not, we're not impressed with grace. You go out into the world and you, and you find somebody who's lost, who becomes saved, and they, they just become so overjoyed to learn that they have been, have been forgiven, and they drop down to their knees, and pretty soon you're on your knees and you're saying, my goodness, I'm forgiven too. And the only cure for Nazaritis is for us to stop and get out of the house and start recognizing how blessed we are. Nazaritis means that you've got to reappreciate Jesus. And you know what's going to happen? Start saying hallelujah, right? I mean, it's going to be hard. It's, uh, but you, you'll try to even stop yourself, you know, all of a sudden, hallelujah. Oh, sorry, sorry, it's kind of slipped out, right? Or you raise, your hand starts to go up, and it's like, oh, no, come on down, you know. Um, it'll just start creeping up into your, into your language, and it becomes uncontrollable almost, right? I have this confession to make. Last summer, Susan and I and the kids, we went to the music festival in Oshkosh, uh, Life Fest, and some of you are familiar a little bit with that. And it was, it was four days of some pretty incredible worship and uh, praise to God. But in the middle of one of the concerts, it was kind of hard to talk about a little bit. I, I raised my hand. I was just a little, okay? It was just a little. It was only, only part way. You know what? When you're shocked by something, You just react, don't you? When you're shocked by something, you react. How would you like to be shocked by Jesus again? I'll never forget seeing the ocean for the first time. 1988. Some folks from Maryland took us out to see the ocean just off the shores of Delaware. We... we uh, <coughs> We parked the van, we, we walked uh, this long set of stairs, and I just, I walked down that stairs, and I just, I, I just stood there amazed, and just, I stopped dead in my track, and, and just went, oh my goodness, wow. And this family that I'm with, I mean, they're just looking at me like i just seen a nude, nude bather or something, you know? I, I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of worried, you know, just our luck, we took this, this group of people from Minnesota Bible College out, and you know, just our luck, somebody's out there in the waves and decided to chuck their swimsuit or something, right? But they looked around, and I'll, everybody's clothed. And they look at me with, their, with my jaw hanging down, and they're just like, what? What? And I said, I just, I, I can't get over how big this is. And, and the fellow's name was Greg, and 
not to be confused with my other friend Greg, but Greg said to me, he said, you know, it kind of cynically, he said, well, did you think it would be any other size? And he's, he's laughing at me. I mean, this guy is calloused. Sure, it's big. I mean, it's got to reach all the way to Africa, right? But, you know, he had seen the ocean so many times that he no longer said, wow, anymore. Isn't it frightening to think that our spiritual lives can get like that sometimes? Most of us have known Jesus for a long time, maybe even a lifetime. But if we are callous to the point that it's hard to get excited, then we need to do what my mom used to tell me when I was about to cross the street. Stop, look, listen. To stop and get re-amazed again. Nazaritis can only be cured by getting re-amazed. I want you to mark this down. We, we're almost out of time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Write that down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Um, I need you to read that. Read that today. Go home and read that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Go home, read that, get re-amazed. I want to challenge us to lift up our voices. I want to challenge us to lift up our bodies and our hearts and our minds. I challenge us to go home after this worship service, not just, not just full of knowledge, but full of the grace and full of the truth and full of the hallelujah that comes out when, when you realize just how amazing Jesus is. He, he truly is amazing, isn't he? It's because of him that we have life. It's because of him that we can have assurance of being saved. It's because of him that we have reason to lift up our hallelujahs and praise him because he is so worthy of all of our adoration. Don't you think it's time to rediscover the power of praise? Amen?